Good morning. Yes, worked on the first try. Hi, everyone. My name is Val, and I am honored, as usual, to be up here today. I feel kind of cool on this stool. So welcome to my living room. Is sort of, we're, we're just hanging out this morning. Um, so as we've gone through this series on the parables, I have really enjoyed getting to know more about the kingdom through this series. I've loved having the opportunity to sit with the parables and really think about them. I've appreciated taking the time to consider them as more than moral teachings or stories of do's and don'ts. And I'm constantly in awe of how much we can learn from reading a passage over and over throughout our lives. This week, my mom asked me if I remember learning about the mustard seed when I was a little kid in Sunday school. I said yes, because she was my Sunday school teacher. (laughs) But what I hadn't remembered from that parable as a kid was thinking of the mustard tree growing to shelter and protect the birds of the air. And I really appreciate having the chance to learn about that parable in a new way. I also love how impactful it can be to hear a parable for the first time, which is true about the one I'm sharing today. True for me, at least. It's called the parable of the two sons. And when I said that, when I saw that, I said to myself, oh yeah, I know that one. One of the sons leaves and spends all his dad's money and then comes back, and the other son stays the whole time. Prodigal son, I know that. Then I read the parable, and it's not that one. It's a different one. So if you currently or have ever identified as a hipster, this parable is for you. It is a deep cut, if you will. If you don't know if you've ever identified as a hipster and you don't know what a deep cut is, it's basically a lesser-known track or a piece of work by an artist. Like when I was listening to Coldplay in 2009, and everyone else only knew Viva La Vida, but I knew the deep cuts, like Death and All His Friends and Strawberry Swing. So let's take a look at this deep cut parable together. First, I'm going to pray that wonderful prayer that we started with, and then we'll get going. Jesus speaks to crowds and to people in the... Here we go. Open the eyes of our hearts, Lord. Open the ears of our hearts, Lord. We want to see you and hear you. Reveal to us the coming of your kingdom. Amen. Did anyone else grow up going to camp and singing the song about open the eyes of my heart? Lord? Yep, okay, a little bit of that. Yes, I love it in the back. Great. We, maybe we can share our hand motions after church today. Um, whenever we pray that, I think of that, and it is a fun, a fun memory for me. So thanks for those who just got to join in that. Okay, here is the scripture. The parable of the two sons from Matthew 21 Verses 28 through 32. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. 
Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. So when I first read this parable, I thought, what? And then I was talking with my band about it, and we decided maybe I should just let Jesus' words speak for themselves, and we'll, we'll leave it at that. And then I did some more reading and rereading and some thinking and some listening and spent a few weeks sort of mulling it over. What, what do these verses mean? And I encourage you to do the same if you'd like. Or I can just share with you what I learned, and you can decide how much more looking you'd like to do on your own. One thing that I think is so cool about the parables is that they're supposed to be sat with. They're supposed to spark our imaginations, and they're supposed to make us think. This one made me think. So I'm excited to share with you some of the thinking that I did about this parable, and As we go, I invite you to think alongside me. So our initial reading of this parable may be to understand it as a moral teaching, as if Jesus is using the story of the two sons to illustrate a good work ethic and a bad one. The first son does the right thing by doing the job his father asked, and the second son does the wrong thing by not doing what he said he would do. That's a natural reading of it, as we're all humans trying to make sense of it, wanting to figure out right and wrong. But after zooming out and and taking a different look, we can see how Jesus is using this parable to tell us a lot more than staying true to our word. I think as we zoom out, the best place to start to understand all of this is by looking at the context that surrounds the parable. Even if we just look in chapter 21 alone, which is where this parable sits, the, the few headlines uh, of, of scripture leading up to this one are, Jesus comes to Jerusalem as king, Jesus at the temple, Jesus curses a fig tree, the authority of Jesus questioned, And then we get to the parable of the two sons. So right off the bat, at the beginning of chapter 21, is the triumphal entry when Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey and is welcomed as the king with people shouting, Hosanna in the highest, and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Then after that, Jesus goes to the temple and drives out all the buyers and sellers who are using this holy place to do their work instead of worship God. Jesus overturns their tables and says they were turning the father's house into a den of robbers. So things are heating up and they're getting intense in Jesus's life here. Then Jesus curses a fig tree, causing it to wither instantly And then we get to the section right before this parable where Jesus' authority is being questioned by the Pharisees. Since before 
he had entered Jerusalem, the Pharisees were on to Jesus. They were not pleased with someone coming in and being welcomed as the king of the Jews. The Pharisees, being the religious leaders, didn't want to lose any of their power to Jesus. This section is sort of entertaining when I picture it because the Pharisees are asking Jesus where his authority comes from, and then Jesus responds with a question saying, I'll tell you if you can answer this. Where did John the Baptist's baptism come from? Was it from humans or from heaven? And then I picture the Pharisees having this little meeting saying, we don't want to admit anything that we don't want to admit. So then they come back and say, we don't know. And Jesus says, then I won't tell you where my authority comes from. And then he launches into this parable. So that's the, the conversation happening right before this when he starts with, what do you think? And when he's addressing the Pharisees in this parable, so when it's saying them or they, this is the Pharisees, the group of them that he's talking to. So we can see as we look at just the verses before this parable that there's a lot of tension building as Jesus is, is sharing this. He isn't on a walk in the woods with his disciples, sharing stories and teaching. He's in fact in front of a group of people, these religious rulers and teachers. And he's nearing the end of his ministry and the end of his life. And in these verses, he's talking to the very people who want to arrest him. And instead of retreating and, and leaving, Jesus is choosing to face the Pharisees and even offer them an opportunity to hear about the kingdom. So we have this context in mind. We can see where this parable is placed. And now we can look at it from a few different angles. One way we can consider this parable is to think about the sons, the two sons here. The Pharisees who are listening to Jesus sharing this parable are trained and ready to pick out who is right and wrong. They are the ones teaching about right and wrong, so it makes sense that they're eager to jump out with what they feel is the correct answer to Jesus' question. We can see in the parable that the first of the sons made a choice not to do something, and then turned around and actually did it. And I think the Pharisees think that they are like the first son doing the right thing. The second son here says he will do something that his father asks, then he actually doesn't do it. And the Pharisees probably know that that's not really the right way to go about our business. So when they jump in and say to Jesus' question that the first son was the one who did what his father asked, Jesus doesn't immediately say, yeah, you're right, that's it. Or, no, you're not on, to the right, on the right track here. In fact, Jesus never says which son is the right one. He lets them sit in the tension, and he lets them think about it. Maybe he gives them time to picture it in a different way. Then he tells the Pharisees that actually they're, they're missing something. 
that even the tax collectors and the prostitutes who believed that Jesus was coming would enter the kingdom before the Pharisees. This is a surprising response from Jesus, which made me think, what? As I was reading this. The Pharisees would never imagine tax collectors and prostitutes going before them anywhere. Their social statuses were so different, which is probably why Jesus chose those groups as he was speaking to the Pharisees. Even these lowest of the low or the least of these in society who had probably done morally wrong things, who maybe had said no to God at first, could turn their lives around and follow Jesus. Jesus is mentioning the tax collectors and prostitutes whose lives may not have looked holy, but whose hearts were open to the kingdom. I think Jesus is telling this parable so that the Pharisees see themselves more like the second son. They've been living their lives as if they know everything about God, when in fact they are missing the biggest piece, Jesus, who was right in front of them. They didn't listen to John the Baptist's teaching and sharing about Jesus' coming or his ministry. They didn't believe in repenting like the tax collectors and prostitutes did that Jesus is referring to. The Pharisees were missing it. And a little side note, repenting is when we acknowledge our sins and turn ourselves back to God. And so the Pharisees weren't doing that because they didn't think they had done anything wrong. They prided themselves on doing and being right in teaching about doing and being right. So we've got this picture of these two sons and how the Pharisees are seeing the two sons. Another angle that we can sort of look at with this um, parable is of the father. What could Jesus be saying about the kingdom as he mentions the father's role in this parable? The father is honestly a character in this parable who could be easily missed. It took me a few times of reading it through and a nice conversation with Justin to think about the father myself. The Pharisees are so caught up in getting the question right and identifying which of the sons is the good one that I wonder if they even consider the father's role here. When I look at the father's role in the parable, I see a few things. One is that we see how the father approaches his sons and both of them in, in different ways show disrespect to their father. The first one says no straight to his father's face. And the second doesn't stay true to the word that he gave his father, that he would do the work that was asked of him. So next we see that we don't know how the father reacts to the sons and, and what they do. We just see how he approaches them and what he asks of them. He asks them the same thing, regardless of how they respond. 
And if we think of the Father in this parable like God the Father, what could we be thinking of God based on this? I'm thinking of a father that offers the same invitation to all his children, regardless of how they'll respond. And it makes me think about our own humanity and the ways that we have acted like both of the sons. And I bet the father in the parable loved both of his sons like God our father loves all of us. So we can look at this parable as a moral teaching or we can think about it focusing on the sons and what they mean or the father and what that means. We could even try to place ourselves in it and figure out which son are we more like or how does this matter for for me and where do I fit in to this parable? But what I think believe the parables are really about and what this whole series has been teaching us and pointing us to is that they're supposed to be telling us about what the kingdom is like. And so how can we look at this parable of the two sons, the deep cut, and, and hear what Jesus is saying about what the kingdom is like? Who is unexpectedly finding themselves part of the kingdom? In this parable, Jesus is telling the Pharisees that a tax collector and a prostitute can find their way in first. They're labeled as the lowest in society, and yet there is room for them. The Pharisees have been living their whole lives like there's only one kind of person in the kingdom. And Jesus is saying there's something totally different from that. Jesus is setting up a new way to view the kingdom, and he's preparing those who will listen to get ready for what this kingdom will look like. This new kingdom is upside down from how society is built, and as Jesus is living his life and teaching, this new kingdom that he shares about is turning heads, and changing people. This new kingdom is different from even how our society now is built, valuing people and not money or status or success. So what does it look like for us to think about the kingdom now, where we are? not just how Jesus was teaching it to the Pharisees and his friends. It makes sense when we think of the kingdom to think about heaven and what happens when we die. But what about the kingdom here on earth? What about the kingdom that we can participate in now? When I think of the kingdom on earth, honestly, I think of Love Chapel Hill and how in being part of this church, I have seen people be embraced in community instead of turned away in shame. I've seen people who are overlooked given the spotlight. I've seen how our leadership values a variety of voices and opinions being heard. 
even just for myself, having the chance to be on the teaching team and not have to change who I am to be up here, not have to speak for longer than 30 minutes to be up here, but to be up here as, as myself. I wonder what the Pharisees would think about a woman being up front like this. So what can we do to be the kingdom? And what does that look like for us right now? I think it starts when we consider who comes to mind when we think about the least of these in our world now. Prostitutes and tax collectors might not be the first people who come to mind for us like they would have been for the Pharisees. There might be certain people who come to mind when you think of the least of these. Or maybe certain politicians or political players or maybe even certain sports fans last weekend or today on Super Bowl Sunday or if you're me, it would have been last night at the Hurricanes game watching all the Rangers fans gloating and cheering and having fun while their team was beating mine. Oh, that hurts. So whoever comes to mind for you when you think of the least of these, there's work for us to be done to imagine the kingdom here in Chapel Hill or wherever you are. That includes them. So first, we think of who are the least of these in, in our minds. Then we have to believe that God loves those people too. And we have to think about how Jesus is inviting them into the kingdom too. God is giving them the same request. Once we think of that, then we can think about ways that we can live in our day-to-day -day lives that show God's love, that show that the kingdom is open. Maybe that looks like inviting someone to come to Love Chapel Hill or to come to The Chosen on Tuesdays at the Varsity. Maybe it means putting our phones in our pockets and greeting people with a smile instead of just walking by on the street. Maybe it means hearing someone out when they share something personal or vulnerable with you and giving them a hug instead of immediately offering advice or correcting them. And maybe it means questioning our own biases against people. Maybe it means baking cookies for your neighbor on their birthday. Maybe it means joining others at Love Chapel Hill in arranging flowers to be given out to strangers on Valentine's Day. Maybe being the kingdom in Chapel Hill and the surrounding community means supporting organizations that make sure hungry families in our communities are fed. Maybe it means holding yourself back from saying something ugly when the other team scores their sixth goal against your team. Maybe it means joining a small group or a discipleship band and meeting regularly with other people who want to know more about Jesus and want to talk about what it looks like to love others. For the millionth time, I'll say that 
my discipleship band with Amanda and Annalise has immensely impacted how I view and experience the kingdom. They are huge influences on my life and how I think about what that looks like to be part of the kingdom on earth. They welcome me with open arms. They always listen. They show me how to love others like Jesus. Even just this past week when we were meeting, we were praying together, and one of them said, let's pray for our church. And the other one said, let's pray for people in Turkey and Syria who were just hit by a devastating earthquake. And I thought, wow, these gals have a wide lens of love. So maybe bringing the kingdom to earth means not acting like we know all the answers or that we know who is right and who's wrong. And maybe it means treating everyone like there's space for them at the table. I know that's how we see communion here at Love Chapel Hill. And I look forward to moving into that space now with all of you. So as Justin makes his way down to, to invite us into communion, let's all take a moment to write down or think of a time when you have experienced the kingdom here on earth. And think of a way that this coming week maybe you can demonstrate or be a part of showing someone else the kingdom on earth. So thank you for having me and I look forward to moving into communion together. Yeah, yo, let's celebrate Val. Way to go. Thank you for bringing the word today, Val. Mm, what a gift. Mm-hmm. What a gift it is to come to the Lord's table. Y'all, it is in this space each and every week that we get to celebrate what God has done. And it is in this space that the veil between heaven and earth feel very thin, that we get to experience the kingdom and what it is like, because it is a table that is open to each and every one of us. No matter where we have been, no matter what we have done, this table is open to each and every one of us. And we confess that this table for the church through the ages has sometimes been a gate that is intended to keep people in or out. That it maybe hasn't been an open invitation. Maybe because of what you've done or what you look like. But Jesus invites all of us to his table. That this is the doorway to the kingdom. That we get to taste and see the goodness of God and what he has done for us. And so we remember that Jesus on his last night with the disciples he took the bread and he broke it. He said this this is my body broken for you. Take and eat of it all of you. And in the same way he took the cup 
and he blessed it. He said this, this is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. This is the new covenant that I make with you. Drink from it. Take the bread and the cup and do this in remembrance of me. And so today, that's what we're going to do. We're going to take the bread and dip it in the cup. And then it will pass through the doorway of our bodies, our mouths, that we can taste it. And we can see his goodness. That he made a way that we can enter God's kingdom. It is for his glory. And so friends, I invite you to come to the table today. We'll dismiss you by row and you can come across the front. Um, Then we'll tear off a piece of the bread and hand it to you. There's also a gluten-free option if you need it. Um, Then you can dip it in the cup. You can take it back to your seat or you can uh, take it as you go. But we invite you to come. Come to the table.